Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down Three dead. Three women who aren't afraid to fight to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building. And a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. History of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Uh, okay, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I'm Jen Hansen, and sitting across from me is the free from parasites, Miss Charlotte Martinez. That's right. I have no dark side. Only good side. Oh my god. <laughs> Whoa. So the name of the episode, or at least what we're calling it, is The Venom Problem. Hence the parasite. I don't know if you got that. You got that, right? Well, I've seen the movie, so obviously oh my god. I understood. <laughs> I just love that scene where he like crashes through the window of the like people next door and they're like eating and they're like, What the heck? And he's like, I have a parasite. <laughs> he, like, like, it's a, like it's a disease and he's like, Yeah, you, you should understand and it's a parasite. Yeah. That's <laughs> so great. Hey, if you were to have a parasite though, that one's pretty cool. That's a really great parasite to have because there are lots that you do not want to have. Right? Like the black plague. Is that a parasite? That's not a parasite. Anyway. Are you gonna say the venom? problem is unless you want to no because i feel like okay in all (laughs) honesty jen was the one who kept picking up on this problem as we were watching this is mainly movies by the way we're gonna be talking about movies only today but she kept picking up on this problem that i i wanted to call something too but i was like oh it's just misrepresentation but we saw it most blatantly recently in the movie venom which is marvel right that's, like, not part of the research I did. Uh, does it matter? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I think... No, it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> I swear... Okay, Sony Sony Pictures is coming out. I think you. we talked about this very briefly. Spider-Man was sold back to or taken back by Sony. And Sony just released a, a bunch of their films that they're going to be coming out in the next, like, year or two. Okay. It's, it looks awesome. Like, really cool. As long as they don't mess it up, obviously. That's the fear. Um, But they've got some really cool uh, movies slated. And the next one is uh, a female uh, superhero. So that's always nice. And then there's a, it's a whole, okay, sorry, this is totally worth it. It's an all-female cast of Into the Spider-Verse. That's all it really said. So I don't know what that means, but I'm very curious and intrigued. Meaning they're not going to use Miles the character Miles in this? I don't know. Because they already have two different Spider-Mans currently. So it really wouldn't be that crazy to add a third one. Interesting. So I am excited to see what they do. Um, I think, you know, like when I was when I was living and trying to, you know, make it work in L.A., Sony was one of the first places that I interviewed at. So it has like a little special place in my heart. And it also was the first company to reject my screenplay. So another oh, little honor. soft place. <laughs> It's always the first one that feels good. You're like, oh, thanks. And then rejected me. (laughs) After 12, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Thanks, thanks, thanks. (laughs) Great. 
but it's it's good to hear that they're not being scaredy cats and Hopefully. they tend to want to work with what's needed and what's being asked for and representation and diversity and maybe Gap. unique writing that would, would be, be nice nice yes I know the two writers that are doing the next film by Sony. I think it's about Swarm, which is a female superhero, but I don't know anything about her. Mm. Um, but the two writers that they've talked about are two white men, <laughs> um, older white <laughs> men. So I don't know. We're going to be talking more about that today, too. It isn't always a bad thing, but it's never usually super great when your two top writers are not diverse in any way, shape, or form. And I've said this many times, it's just when we've had a pattern for this long, you get bored. And diversity is only let through when you have diverse creators. It's not going to happen if you keep using the same top build, what you think are trustworthy mainstream people. Yeah, sure, that's the white older man because they're the ones running the industry. Right. But you know how you want to make more money? You kind of figure out that, hey, the world is diverse and we need more representation and therefore those diverse people will come and watch original writing. Black Panther proved that. Yes. Over many times they've proved that. So it, it's okay to take a little bit of a risk because usually good things come from it. Not always, but like Sony and Disney are huge corporations. I think they can survive. Exactly. That's why we have that motto, right? Better to have tried and failed than to never try at all. Oh, yes. What's that from? I think it was from Jerry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the money, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> That's it. A white male, you mean? <laughs> Sorry. Right. Is that the scene in Lego Batman? Is that from Jerry Maguire or is that for a different one? Remember in Lego Batman where he's like laughing? He's like, it's Renee Zellweger and Tom Cruise. She's oh. like, you complete. He's like, you complete me. He's like, bah. <laughs> he starts laughing. <laughs> yes, it is. Is it that is. Jerry Maguire? Oh, it is indeed Jerry Maguire. Yeah, the most quoted scene. <laughs> Good lord. Anyway, sorry. No, I love it. Great. Very valid. It was all on topic. Tangent. <laughs> I would like to say yes. We developed this concept together. You gave it a cool title. I'm the one that gave it the title. You gave it the title. No That's what I'm way. saying. You need to title things. I'm not good with titles. I don't I didn't remember that. Yeah. But. You titled it, which I loved. And I loved that. That's great. Thank okay, you. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the definition of it then. The definition of the venom problem. Basically, when there's a lack of diversity and Caucasians or white people are in the hero roles and people are in the villainous, uh, people of color are in the villainous roles. That's one form of the venom problem. So you have like the Smurfette trope for women, uh, but in this case it's for race and it's typically male. Um, because we're talking what we're going to be talking about today are mainly action films or if not all are action films uh, it's very male heavy and then another form of the venom problem is that you can have diversity in your film but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not the venom problem and we'll talk about tokenism and stereotypes and racial understandings about each other from historical point of views as well as uh, in modern film and then Hopefully, you and I can quote debate, although we kind of agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might discuss. Yeah, discuss some of them. Okay. They're interesting. Yeah. We have a couple films that we'll discuss slash debate at the end. And like you said, we're giving levels of the venom problem. It's not, yes, there is a venom problem, or no, there's not a venom problem. 
it's it's like the Brecknell test as in like oh you rate it between like one and five this is somewhere like 3.6 or something right you know exactly I like that because films are getting much better you know if you go back to the 1920s which we will talk about a little bit there was nothing so having something is something uh, yeah it's it's uh, yes very much so and I also think that these conversations are nuanced so it has to be we know that looking at things in black and white never works and our films are starting to show that to some degree like you just said I'm mansplaining to you what you just told me <laughs> no you are reiterating it because I say things in funny ways sometimes uh, ditto take it away <laughs> let's end my segment all right all right all right okay well to begin with, we're going to go way back oh my God. <laughs> to the very beginning of mankind. Like 1982? Absolutely. Oh, That's okay, cool. way back, right? <sighs> Man. Nobody even... was born in the 80s. Really? <laughs> <That's so sad>. <laughs> <laughs> 80s had their problems too, man. Some, I mean, just looking back at what they were screening in the 80s and how they were representing, I'm like, yeah, you were going for it a little bit, but ooh, <laughs> was that a bad representation? Ooh. Um, but we'll get there. Okay. I'm in before the 80s. Oh, okay. Um, actually, yeah. to the first man on the earth, Adam. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we're going more scientific here. I'm I'm basically wanting, I wanted to know from the very beginning, like, where these weird tropes of skin color come from. I mean, this this is, again, it's not super related to representation on screen, but... I think even in its basic form, I wanted to understand where these weird stigmatisms of coloration, uh, well, they're calling it colorism oh. is the term I found, colorism. Okay. And it's this idea that the, the darker skinned people are not being represented on the screen, right. even within their own cultures. So like black Americans, the darker you are, you tend to not be cast. So even within the culture, it's like, yeah, the lighter dark you are, the more casting you know opportunities you have that's great it's, it's psychological and it's cultural and as i found out it's a uh, agricultural related mm. it all relates back to food i feel like everybody on some level knows this but early cultures who were able to grow their own food which was around the uh, what do you call it solar access right you could maintain a great life in one location for thousands of years thousands of years under the sun so of course your your skin pigment adapts to being out in the sun all day long mm. and that's how you thrive as a culture is the amount of sun you get for your food over like generations you mean or okay absolutely like if i just go outside now for the rest of my life i feel like i'd just be like a walking <laughs> cancer patient you know what i mean <laughs> i feel like even eventually your skin will darken and not like not be red but be darker right yeah it tends Are you to saying my skin is red no oh, wow she is lovely everybody oh my god you <laughs> moving right along <laughs> but my point is they never had well, this is, again, a very blanket statement, and I will get in a lot of trouble for oh my these God. statements coming up Please next. Please don't sue us. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's, it's very true in a blanket statement. It very much is true that cultures with the most sun tend to stay put. Historically, mm -hmm. that's been true. Because right? they don't need to move? Exactly. Okay. You grow food with the sun. Basics. Oh, I see. Now, if you think about cultures who are, like, northern or southern, mm -hmm. there's this complete lack of stability and growing food maybe you hunt but you always have to be traveling in order to hunt mm. what tended to happen with cultures that didn't have that much sun 
they basically traveled and conquered and to survive they would have to conquer mm. so they became more of a muscle versus a like oh we're in the sun all day long we're good we can grow food we can chill here forever these other guys north and south they they had to toughen up quick in order to survive they had to but they also didn't have to right i mean they could have worked with them or developed trade right i mean there's for sure. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm sure historically a lot of them maybe did. Oh, okay. But the ones we remember, right, are the conquerors, yeah. <laughs> the ones that took it by force. Right. Because the bloodiest. They didn't have what they had. Right. Go figure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, again, the, stigma, the stigmatism of that the conquerors tended to stay light-skinned because mm. in their evolution they weren't near the equator, basically. So they adapted to be very light-skinned. And then to be conquerors meant that not only do you take over a culture eventually, over long periods of time, you, you tend to conquer these cultures that do already have agriculture practices or developed a very um, sedimentary life. Mm, that and means like staying still, right? Staying still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sedimentary is staying still. <laughs> and then nomadic is moving. So the nomadic people tended to be the lighter skinned people. Like Vikings. Like Vikings. Right. Right. Total conquerors. They are. First ones to America. Yeah. <laughs> the, English, the English. The Spanish. Can I ask another question? Oh, please do. Okay. <laughs> where where does the continent of Asia fall? Hmm. Is is it varying within two or or is it not? It no, it is, right? I, I would think so. Again, Asia is the one that I don't I don't know very much about, but I mean, you think of Middle Eastern, right? You have a very clear picture in your head about what Middle Easterners look like. But then you have this idea of like, what about the Chinese person or the Japanese or the Persians? I was thinking or uh, Egyptians. Some Egyptians are very light, whereas Ethiopians tend to be very dark. Aha. And they're not that far from each other, I don't think. So so who do you think their ancestors came it's always going to be like, yeah, because mm. we have to take into account migration and exodus right. and uh, slavery, right? Bringing mm. slaves back and forth into these continents that they're unfamiliar with, but yet are forced to work. So there's a lot of that in there, too. So this pigmentation origins is now scattered, completely scattered. But if you tend to perpetuate the cultures that are working outdoors, I'm just going to call it working outdoors. Even okay. though that sounds like, oh, I'm gardening. No, I mean forced to live and work outdoors right. over millennial. There's pigments will tend to keep being darker and darker mm. while the conquerors tended to revolutionize technology. So they were able to focus on higher thinking. They tasks. had to. They in had some to. Way. Right? right. Right. More production, better able to conquer more lands. Like these are all what you would call higher thinking tasks. God, it's so backwards. It is very backwards. <laughs> it is very backwards. So those privileged with the sun basically got screwed later. Which is crazy. It is very crazy. I mean, I know that sounds really under <laughs> understated, <laughs> but that's crazy. Again, these are very blanket statements. It's not true for all cultures. Right. Um, and I very much would like to hear specifics if anybody has specifics about the culture they come from. or hmm. it's, it's very, it seems like very dangerous waters. I yes. can understand why it's a hot, I don't want to say a hot topic. Um, but difficult to discuss because I feel like isn't that like the first form of other than I mean I don't know I guess I don't know between gender and race what would be the first thing that discerns people but I would imagine it would be both mm -hmm. unless you're only looking at one gender then it would be color but I don't actually know that for a fact 
But it, it makes sense, like scientifically and historically, doesn't it? That when you look at somebody, you judge them by how you how you look. Right. So you're you're female first. Right. You're you're dark skinned second. Right. So you would assume like, oh, you do female tasks and you're out in the sun. Done. There's your category. Gotcha. That's not true anymore, and that's great. Yeah. But but that's that's how the the simple minded or the the early minded would think about gotcha. it. Gotcha. Um, it's like we're still stuck in that, even though that's obviously not the case anymore. Right. Interesting. And hence, we kind of see some of that on the screen still. Really? Colorist. I don't believe you. <laughs> no. Okay. Liar. It's all black and white now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's on the. I just I wanted to understand that before I could talk about colorism on the screen. I think so. Now that I got that out of the way, will I get in trouble if I say colorism on the screen? I don't. Uh, well, the <laughs> article calls it that. Okay. I could even define it if that kind of helps. If you'd like to. It and it was coined. It was it was coined. It was coined. Yeah. Coined. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was coined by an author in 1982, Alice Walker. Oh, my God. I love Alice Walker. Right? Oh, my God. Well, okay, then it's fine. <laughs> I can say it, <laughs> I think. And she was talking more about the black American representation on the screen. Cool. But, like, how, like, the darker you are. That's where the darker, the, the trope of the darker being the more evil versus the lighter being more passing, right? Passing as white. Right. Um, right. And that's where she came up with uh, colorism. Interesting. Yeah. Which I think that it just it made me think of One Day at a Time, the, the newer One Day at a Time, you know. That that's a topic they actually go into because it's still very prevalent yeah which is kind of crazy but yeah and one day at a time they're talking about um spanish right she's cuban cuban yeah, yeah. they're like oh you're passing you're fine she's like what do you mean i'm passing that's such a great scene because she's like i i don't want to not be viewed as cuban i have nothing <laughs> and she's like wait i'm female and i'm gay i'm good <laughs> i'm still good i'll still be protested against i can still fight yeah it's great <laughs> gotta fight the fight you know <laughs> i even felt a little bit of that because i didn't i didn't realize that i was considered passing either not that hispanics are like i mean they're european right it's it's not but even it's not a- them it's the white people right right I, I even, I mean, just because it's like, it's what you see, like you were talking about. I'm like, you get it. You're a white girl. And I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> You're not a white girl. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even have a friend. Um, she's Peruvian. And people have told her, You're such a white girl just because of the way she acts and what she does. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, how are you? Okay. Well, whatever. See? Whatever. We need to, like, it. yeah, all of these, all of these nuances and, right. and um, mixes and, migrations and new culture merging and i mean it's it's great it's so yeah. great that it's all mixed up you're like right. you can't call somebody something anymore it just doesn't exist you know you're many things and right just the one thing will never define you you can like call something out to a crowd and then the one person you don't think will turn around is the person that turns around. Ooh. <laughs> oh that's a cool social experiment we should mm-hmm. try that so we'll uh we'll be in jail next next episode <laughs> uh, it was nice seeing all of you. I hope so. <laughs> we'll have some good stories. It'll be great. Um, so cool. What do you want to talk about next? I want to hear what you were talking about earlier, which is sort of the, the timeline of film and colorism. Yes. And I'm thinking I'm thinking more 1920s through 1950s okay. was the topics in mind. And blackface being the very obvious, weird tactic that came out of early filmmaking and not just in america i found out i thought it was just an american thing Mm. i think americans 
started it. Of course we did. Didn't we? I, I we wanna... started all the best things. <laughs> I could be wrong. I really could be wrong about that. But it, Wikipedia had the most to say about um, Americans using blackface. Hmm. And if you don't know what blackface is, it's basically in early filmmaking because they didn't want to uh, cast black Americans. They just had white Americans um, put on dark makeup. Or shoe polish. Really? Oh, ooh, that's weird. It's really creepy. That is really And weird. they usually like leave some area around their eyes. Right. So they look like it's it's really offensive and really kind of scary. And it's perpetuating that like savage God. stereotype that in the 1920s and into the 50s it was like, yeah, well, that's what we view the other as, you know. And it's theater. I'm sorry. It actually or originated in theater. Like vaudeville, then, right? Yeah. And that's very – that's an American – I mean, I know there was vaudeville in other countries, but like Al Jolson comes to mind, like all those like old timey jazz singer era. Right. Was that like the first film? What was Jazz Singer? It was the first one with audio. With audio. With audio and sync. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't see that? I'm pointing to my lips in case you guys don't know what audio means. It No, it sunk his voice with the picture and that was like, right. a big deal. Right. We watched that in high school. It was supposed to be important. I couldn't remember why. <laughs> but where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. That, you know, when you didn't have the ability to cast the ethnicity or even the gender, right? Early, early, early theater was like we couldn't cast women. So, you know, the men played females. I think they just didn't want to. I think they were all gay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> they say Shakespeare was gay if he wasn't, if he wasn't like four different people as one person. Ah. That he was totally just a gay dude. Yeah, makes sense. Like, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, <laughs> we've been fucked over all of our lives, so it's cool. <laughs> we don't need jobs. Um, and then they did things similar with indigenous, what of they course. called Indians at the time. I, I guess it was just a little lighter pigmentation. I found one article that said, like, yeah, instead of, like, the black face, it was, like, the you know, it was, like, this weird brown hue that they did instead. Was <laughs> they just changed it just a little bit. But every now and then they would cast an in, like a real indigenous, and of course it was like the flattest character, either the stoic, the stoic <laughs> warrior, whatever, and it was just in the background, which is know. a stereotype, right? Super stoic. stereotype. Or the like warrior is another stereotype, I think. Right. That film, Real Justice. We watched that in class. Isn't that what it's called? Real Justice. Or real, real. Something. Real engine. Real engine. That's yes, it. the documentary. Oh. It's a great documentary. It's a great documentary, and it's about that, right? It's about how how indigenous people have been portrayed in film and media in general. And I just love some of the clips they show, like of John Wayne supposed to be an indigenous person, and he's just like, "Howdy, y'all!" I'm like, "Oh my god!" He's like a white man, whatever. There was an article I was reading about an African American man who. He, he went to, I think it was Harvard, and he was total passing as a white man. Hmm. And then he enlisted, and they found out he had um, black American ancestors, and they didn't let him into the army, basically. And then what? they based a film off of it. And, of course, they cast an all-white cast. Of course. Why wouldn't you? Because that makes sense. <laughs> so we have this, like, white guy reacting on screen to, like, to, like looking at his hand being like, what? I'm black? Oh, my God. What? <laughs> Good God. That was like, I think that was like 1940s or something. Oh my God. I'm not sure. That doesn't excuse it. (laughs) Meaning it took a long time for the authentic person to be represented on screen. Right. And it can, I mean, I, I know 
that a big debate has been uh, about whether or not somebody who is or not something can portray that, right? Like there's this whole idea of authenticity and, you know, can can somebody who doesn't have autism play somebody who does on screen? Shouldn't that job go to somebody who is autistic, who is an actor? And I think it's very complicated, but it's also very simple. And I think that I'm just going to tell you what I think about it. Go ahead. Um, Okay, great. (laughs) That if, if the industry and all of this was truly diverse, this wouldn't be an issue because it would be based on talent and skill and if they fit the part, it wouldn't be based on anything else. I really feel like this is an argument that is kind of silly. And it's like a distracting from the actual problem. The fact that we don't even have scripts with those people in their exactly. stories. Yeah. Or companies that won't buy those scripts. I, I definitely see to a certain degree that matters, you know. But it's also at some point like if you're you know what I mean like it's yes. it's complicated but I don't want a white person playing a black person because that makes no sense but if that white person or black person wants to uh, act as though they're a gay character I have no problem with that right Kate Blanchett is like so hot and she's <laughs> like so straight but she plays a lot of gay characters and I love it same with Julianne Moore although I think she's bisexual but <laughs> you know what I mean like they're it's different and I think that the issue wouldn't be an issue if it were truly diverse and inclusion and diversity was all there. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because we're just on, in my mind, we're barely on step, maybe step two of right. representation. So yeah. once we're down the line, step five, yeah, this very particular casting of an Arab man versus like an Indian man. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, they're both dark skin and they can they can pass for whatever I'm casting for, but he's actually Arab. This guy's actually indian then we can start getting really specific because then there'll be more actors there'll be more more actors from both cultures wanting to act and giving the getting the opportunity to oh yeah sorry that's like the major no sorry (laughs) you're right you're right not wanting to but getting the opportunity yeah i it yeah exactly it's a top-down issue and no matter what people i think people tend to just they can't fix that issue, so they want to fix something below that issue. But that's just like putting a Band-Aid on a shotgun wound to the <laughs> brain. You know what I mean? Yes. Can't put a Band-Aid on your brain. Nope. That's an old bleed out folk tale that I heard in Wisconsin. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> I was like, ooh, tell me about the folk tale. <laughs> and I did want to mention, this is kind of off topic, that while cinema may have been a little bit backwards still, well, not a little bit, very much backwards in the 1920s through the 50s, in literature, however, there was some good amounts of steps being taken toward the American reader, watcher, whatever. Willa Cather comes to mind immediately. Oh, tell me. She was just a, she was a black woman who was also most likely gay. And she wrote a couple different novels that are considered American classics. Nice. We read her in Julia Goldberg's class. Goldberg. Goldberg. She's a finch. (laughs) Goldberg's class. Yay, Julia. Those are, I was going to say the only examples, because I didn't didn't get to read that much in high school. Um, (laughs) You know, Huckleberry Finn, even though that has a huge amount of problems. But when you're away from society and you're stuck with one person in the river for months on end, like you don't see them anymore as like a slave right you start seeing them as a friend you know interesting yeah. basic <laughs> level um, but the other one was uh to kill a mockingbird oh right um which was a, a another big uh 
turn around on how you see just like American justice. Right. But you know, little little classics like that, I, I would take it. You know, like totally at the time it was it was very much needed. And I think, you know, yeah, like as, I mean, that's still pretty early on, right? But later we had people like Audrey Lord and yes. all these like freaking awesome, mainly black women. Of course, there were black men who were writing as well. Invisible Man, was oh, that written? That's not, oh. <laughs> Invisible Man was like my life. Yeah. Oh, I love, I mean, that book. Yeah. We'll have Which to is about, about a black man going to university, right? Well, he's basically playing the game because he wants to prove that even though he's black he can be exactly like the white man that's his life's goal right and every step of the way he is unable to no matter how hard he tries right and it's the saddest book but the most encouraging book i've ever read yeah so it's not about an invisible person who like runs from room to room and is like tapping on things and knocking stuff over and they're like we can't see (laughs) no way (laughs) i feel like a like a sci-fi maybe written by this weird guy like hg wells might be his name i don't know that sounds wrong (laughs) no i know i kept mixing them up (laughs) well they have two of the same title like come on yeah but one was definitely a bigger impact on me yeah anyway was i going with that oh that just literature (laughs) literature was just being evolutionized a little bit quicker than the movies Totally. Okay, before we get into the movies, let's talk about some terms. Yes. Because I think it will help help everybody, including us, see this as a whole, as opposed to just little bits and pieces. Stereotype, to define a stereotype, uh, it's a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing. I think we all know what a stereotype is. You want to give us an example? Uh, the Stoic Indian. Right. Because all... Indians are stoic, right? <laughs> White privilege. I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory, but it's worth defining as well. Uh, inherent advantages possessed by a white person on the basis of their race in a society characterized by racial inequality and, in- and injustice. And it also includes gender, of course. Do you want to give us an example of that? Every day of our lives? <laughs> <laughs> Even as a passing and a white woman we deal with this constantly because it's on top of that it's a patriarchy but uh white privilege i definitely have experienced white privilege because and i didn't even know it until i knew what white privilege was you know yeah for sure i've been watching that documentary series on r kelly oh god it's it's crazy and it's hard to watch but it's so worth it and it's a lot of it has to do with how the world including the black community turn their backs on black women who are being raped by R. Kelly, who are being forced to do these horrible things by R. Kelly. And nobody wanted to listen because everybody loved his music so much. Oh. And the, the top people to do that were the black community only because he was a big deal for them, of course. I and mean, you don't want to see your hero taken down. Of course. And so lots and lots of young underage girls have disappeared into his cult and not reappeared. So that's definitely sidebar. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. Well, that's good to mention because it'll, it'll keep happening otherwise. It's this idea of like you have to give power to the privileged. Yeah. I'm kind of done with that. Yeah. And yeah, people want to forget. Yeah. People want to forget. Her. Never forget. Okay. Representation. 
Uh, that's the term referred to the processes involved as well as to its products. And it's in relation to key markers of identity. So class, age, gender, and ethnicity. Um, and they call this the cage of identity, which makes a lot of sense. It's a cage. And it, it, it not only represents, uh, representation not, is not only, what am I trying to say? Representation involves um, not only how identities are represented within like what we're watching or reading or whatever, but they're constructed in the processes of production and reception by people mm. um, who are related or not related to those that cage identity, right? And then the key of it is it becomes natural. So for instance, in the early 90s, seeing so many black men on screen was great, but a lot of them were thugs. Mm. That's a way that made it natural for everyone else, including black men, to view themselves and for us to view them as thugs. It's really basic, but it's really horrible. <laughs> so it's representation, but it's how you're being represented that's detrimental. And yeah, and the power, the power behind it. It didn't used to be that powerful before media, right? We didn't have constant you know instant streaming we didn't have quite as much like of the movies like we do now it's literally constant and because a lot of those things are being produced by very few we're getting the same messages over and over again that's why representation means so much to so many people and this this argument because i keep hearing this argument is like well if it's art it doesn't matter like who you're casting like it doesn't you know we're all the same as human beings like yeah that's that's the fairy tale and one day it would be amazing if we got there. But we're not there yet. No. <laughs> you have to do the Bracknell test. You have to do the Venom. I'm going to call it the Venom test. Yeah. You have to do the Venom test with your stories because you are perpetuating the future as well. Right. And you can't be careless just because you think you're an artist. Well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> just because you think you're an artist. Even if you are an artist, you have to be paying attention because you have the power to change that. Of course. That should matter to you. Of course. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very much done with that argument. At first I was like, yeah, maybe they're right. You know, just to be an artist is enough. I'm like, no, it's not. You have responsibilities too, I'm sorry to say. And it's simple critical thinking. It's not, this is not rocket science. Using a discerning eye while you're watching something, you can still have fun. You can still enjoy a film or a TV show. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy things anymore. You just need to be aware of it. Right. You know, by being aware of it, you're making a decision to accept it, but you're also not just blindly accepting it. And it does, maybe that doesn't seem like such a big difference, but it, it is a huge difference because when you watch something you don't like and it has that, you can be like, this is why I didn't like this. Absolutely. <sighs> Makes me so mad. Right? <laughs> I'm glad we said it because I feel like I've been waiting to say that for a while. And I, I do want to cover the Bechtel test just because we've mentioned it now a few times. Bechtel test was created by Alison Bechtel. I think that's her name. She is a comedian, a writer. She does a comic book series. She's great. And the Bechtel test is basically if a film has two named female characters who talk to each other about something other than a man. It's a st stupidly <laughs> small test and so many films don't pass it <sighs> yeah. like the next time you watch a film just you know in the back of your mind enjoy the film but in the back of your mind be like okay okay that female character has a name that one doesn't so that doesn't count <laughs> and just see if two female characters have a conversation without talking about a man 
Captain Marvel, even though I'm not super into it because I thought that it was kind of bad, passes the Bechdel test. I'm like, Good. at the very least. <laughs> Whereas Wonder Woman, which I loved, doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Hmm. I mean, you you could probably argue that it does, but she's a child. She's not like a full grown woman at the time. I don't know. I guess it's on. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. I get it, though. I get it. It's, and it's an important test. Yes. It's shocking how many how many movies don't pass it. Um, And then I just wanted to talk about, we kind of mentioned this already, but some of the themes in racial representations. Uh-huh. There is, this is especially for darker skin, um, and it typically involves men. It's not explicitly including women, although I think many of these do. Um, so the four that I have is dangerous, humorous, exotic, and pitied. I feel like we could name many characters that would fit into one of those. Absolutely. Do you want to name one? Well, I well I was actually going to mention more of the three cultures that I I've researched Go about those stereotypes because they all have a very similar evolution on screen. Mm. Black Americans being the the first to to finally kind of get in there, and they were even creating cinema for themselves. A Black American director would cast an all black cast and mm-hmm. then would show it to an to an all black audience in right. their theaters and that was in the 50s you know they were finally like done you know we're done playing that stereotype for the for the white man we're going to create our own movies and then we get like black exploitation right and like all these other kinds of subgenres right right interesting so that's like their evolution and then and then you know indigenous even though they were there during that period too they had even less opportunities to be cast except for the western and and they're a smaller population right they are that's so it, that's fair i mean that does it's not to take away from that it's just that's maybe why but even yeah and it's only recently that indigenous filmmakers started writing their own stories and therefore casting indigenous actors so then we get this like authentic oh they're actually like you know they have other um <laughs> abilities to be you know, other than stoic and they're not tall white men named john (laughs) wayne (laughs) so yeah theirs is very late in the game they're just barely getting good representation now and then there's huge step backs for them too that Mm. stupid um ridiculous six ridiculous six ridiculous seven oh oh Uh uh-huh what is it called Uh, i think the adam sandler one it's something like that ridiculous six i think it's ridiculous six i mean it's a satire that's fine but some of the things that they were doing, you know, they were na- they were just making fun of the culture to no end. Good Lord. And trying to make it okay. There was even an indigenous actor that walked off set because it was too ridiculous. Whoa. It was too offensive. offensive. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad. I'm glad that was happening because it's not, you know, even though we're in the 21st century, we're not there yet. Yeah. I mean, don't you know the evolution of this culture is not there yet? How dare you, like, go that far when they're, when they're there on set with you, you know? Yeah. It's disrespectful right and hateful right they have i mean there's a long way to go still for what about the johnny depp film <laughs> oh my god <laughs> sorry the one where they cast on, um yeah what is it because he's like like one percent cherokee or something right <laughs> that makes it okay and that was basically the argument people had <laughs> what the heck is it called you Tito guys know what we're talking about toronto no toronto, toronto. <laughs> <laughs> sorry oh my gosh what is it i don't Jen? remember it's based on a tv show Sundance Kid and no, that's not it. The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. It's called I was the way Lone off. Ranger, but because he has like a sixteenth maybe of Cherokee, they decided to cast him. 
Yeah, a lot of backlash for that, I, as it should have been. Yeah. As there should have been much backlash. Yes. I never saw it, and I don't know anyone that did. Did you see it? I No. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of hype because it was shot here. But oh. Yeah. No, no, I never saw it. I'd rather watch Cowboys and Aliens than <laughs> yeah. Lone Ranger. It's all sorts of misrepresentation still going on. Yeah. And then the last group, which is... It's not new by any means because even Middle Easterners were being played by white men and who who would just be dressed up like Arabs or something, like with you know, a with swords or and turbans. Yeah. And <laughs> always the villain, right? <laughs> Cast as like the the blanket villain, stealing women, you know, whatever. Never, yeah, whatever their roles were, it was it was super <laughs> offensive. Playing a flute as snakes come out of a basket. Um, you, yeah, <laughs> you get it. You get it. There's there's was totally uh, the same kind of path, but with the war, it was even more like nine eleven. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean even before that, then oh, too. Okay anything to do with Middle Eastern, it was still very um, scary mm. because that's who we've been at war at with so long. So there's this idea that anyone who looks Middle Eastern is very much going to be cast as this or that because we don't want to see anything else on screen, basically, as Americans. That's changing now, too, by the way. That's good. As some articles are pointing out, and I'm like, yay. Thank good. you very much. You know, I thought we would be the worst because we started wars over there that didn't need to be started and we went after like terrorists, even though they just based that on how they look. Um, but France, France is actually a place that's worse than it is here. Really? For Arab people and Middle Easterners, especially ones that wear hijabs. They wow. they banned swimsuits for women who wore hijabs because that was offensive. Oh, my gosh. I know. The that's, world is weird. That's weird. Out of I, all places, I would never have guessed. They, I know. Yeah, people are weird. So weird. <laughs> We're weird. <laughs> hmm. That was just a sidebar. No, yeah. And actually, that was just like the basic research I was doing. I was just curious how cultures yeah. were being represented over time, I guess, was my, yeah. my interest. I also like in all these articles I was reading, they were usually being told from the perspective of the minority actor. And this one guy was, was saying yeah. that, you know, he's turning down stereotypical roles like he won't play them anymore good and he, and he tends to say that the bigger films have the most potential for a deeper character mm-hmm. because if they're being portrayed on the big screen around the nation it's like you got to be really careful on how you write that character so he was saying like yeah the bigger the budget film the the better i feel about being represented hmm. um, that's not always true as we'll find when you start talking about films but it makes sense in terms of quality i guess but also, some of the most, some of the films with the most quality are independent films too. So yeah, it goes both ways, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would argue that too. I'm like, well, there's some independent ones that don't have a lot of money who do highly diversify and give depth inclusion. And, and, yeah, yeah. So, and I just wanted to mention the three types of what they call fake diversity before we get into the films. Tokenism is one of them. That's when the inclusion of a minority or other underrepresented group, which is basically on anyone other than a straight white male, is no more than a symbolic effort to make a story or environment seem equal or diverse. So it's very misleading and it's very like, here's the black guy and here's the like feminist chick and we're going to kill them all off. So don't worry. But like, here they are. Hope you're happy. Which, of course, we're all like super ecstatic about. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stereotyping is the other one. Assumptions of how a certain type of person is supposed to be 
due to their racial, ethnic, gender, sexual, or religious identity. Stereotypes can have a profound effect on society as they create unrealistic and often negative expectations and assumptions. I think we've all experienced a stereotype at some point. I, do you do you ever do people ever stereotype you for anything in particular? Oh, not anymore. Oh, well, actually, no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to divulge if you don't want to. Uh, uh, strangely enough, the shorter my hair gets, the more comments I'm getting about that. <laughs> I guess I wasn't expecting it. I, I was expecting more comments about being Hispanic, and I, I got that when I was younger. But now it's all about the hair. It's like, oh, you're an independent chick, aren't you? Oh, you don't have a boyfriend. You must be, like, really free-willing. Because <laughs> you're supposed to be, what? Married and with long hair. <laughs> I don't know. And probably with children. I didn't get that memo, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. What about you, Jen? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I get stereotyped for being from Southern California, but I deserve oh. that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Uh, sometimes my hair, because it's red, especially when I was younger. So beautiful, though. Sorry. Um, there were a lot of, like, you know. I don't know. I guess that's, I don't know if that's stereotyping, to be honest, but maybe it's just cruelty. Cruelty. But again, it's the visual, right? Hair. Why always hair on women? Right. You have red hair. You have no hair. (laughs) Like, excuse us, you know? Would you look somewhere else besides the hair? Yeah. Like, in our eyes? Yeah. Not below them. (laughs) And not above them. Just, like, at them. And then the last form is typecasting. Uh, which generally refers specifically to actors. Um, it's when a certain actor is uh, repeatedly assigned to the same type of role due to success with that role um, or because they look like a certain stereotype. I'm trying to think of an example, but we're going to actually talk about some films that have these things. So. I was going to say, yeah, we got examples right here. Yeah. yeah. And I think just as a final thing, the the importance of these types of and these types of fake diversity and representation it's that the consistencies of these representations reinforce stereotypes that make them more readily available in our minds. So it's really sort of repeating these so often in so many different places just enforces them. We go to them because now they're ingrained. Um, so you really do have to be sort of actively thinking about things, which you should be doing anyway. I mean, we live in a, you know, in a world and you are in a community, whether it's a small community or a large one, you should definitely be using your critical mind i think when we think of entertainment we think of turning off our brains totally so it's it's hard to do for movies and it shouldn't have to be that's why actually going to film school was very beneficial for me is that i'm i'm critically analyzing what i think of as entertainment but you still i mean enjoy it right oh yeah oh my gosh (laughs) of course i do of course i i enjoy reading and watching movies every day of my life and i will never stop enjoying it right but i can think critically at the same time totally there are plenty of films that both of us individually love and know are horrible. But that's okay, you know, because we know that. Right. Whereas talking to some other people, they, you know, they love a particular film. And if you bring up any little flaw, immediately they're defensive and they're like, no, 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 this is a good film because of this. And I'm like, okay, I wasn't judging you or the film necessarily. I was looking at the dynamics that are in it. Right. Um, And we're going to, I'll just get to it because that's what we're going to be doing. Do you want to start us off? With the venom problem? Yes. For venom. 
the origin of the high problem. High venom problem. A high venom. Oh, yes. So, yes. This is where the, the ratings kind of come in. Right. We're rating the, what would you call it? The degree. The degree of the venom problem. Oh, right. Thank you. And Venom, the movie, when 2018, that's mm-hmm. when it came out. So, psh, last year. Yeah. 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 That's also somewhat disappointing when it's, like, so recent. I don't know. I do want to say I loved this movie. It was oh. hilarious. It was much better than I thought it was going to be. And it's an anti-hero, which I love. And it's it's got some great scenes. Like, I am super into this movie. So don't get me wrong. Even though it has an issue, I actually really, I can't wait for Venom 2. I hope that they improve. Ditto. Yeah. I highly enjoyed it. And, uh, we, and we do want to mention that we're looking at not only the bad guy. We're we're not saying like, oh, these are all bad because the bad guy is a different ethnicity. We're mm-hmm. actually looking at the writer, the director, the other members of the cast. Um, so if there's a good diversity in the cast and the crew, we kind of we're looking at it a little bit differently. Right. So you have Eddie Brock, who is the main character, played by Tom Hardy, white guy, middle aged white guy. And it's mainly about him and his girlfriend is in it as sort of a supporting character. She's with somebody else, white lady, same kind of deal. You know, Ruben Flesher is the director and the writers are all, well, most of them are straight white males. One was a female, a white female. But if you're imagining or if you've seen Venom, it's a very, if you're... (sighs) It's very Marvel. It has that feel. It's very much a superhero story. It's got a little bit more darkness, like Dark Knight or a Joker feeling to it. But it, it's like highbrow and lowbrow humor. Like there's a lot of things that come together really well. But it's, you just like, when I watched it, everything kind of stopped. Oh no. When I saw the antagonist, who um, was Carlton Drake. Um, which sounds very much like a white guy's name, just FYI. Yeah, I, that's, which makes me think like, oh, I wonder why they casted it. They cast, okay. And who did they cast? So they casted uh, Riz Ahmed. I think that's how you say it. Okay. Um, he's a British Pakistani male. Stands out like so much when you're watching it. Because he's a great actor. I've seen him. Totally. He's been in, he's been in my theater. <laughs> Uh, his movies have been played at my theater multiple times in very different movies. So I know his range of acting. He's and good. He's amazing. And he's a good antagonist. Yes. He can this play good about him and being... he can play bad. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, actually, I even have, sorry, is this totally off the topic? No, go for it. But one of the movies, the first movie I saw him in here at the screen in my in the theater that I, I run, it was a drama called Trishna, done in the UK, but it was about Pakistani woman and Pakistani man. And he played the villain, the a very abusive first boyfriend, and oh then God. I think she married him. Oh God! And he just got worse and worse. It was it was very hard to watch this movie, and he was flat. He was a one dimensional villain. It was hard to watch it because it was bored. I mean, it was predictable, or it. Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't watch that kind of drama too often, but kind of. I mean, yeah. with a flat character, usually it's kind of like. Okay, we get it. Kind of. Cause yeah, because he, he just got worse and worse. He was manipulative. He was right. gross. He was power hungry, and it got worse. Yeah. Um, and it didn't matter that the culture wasn't American. It, right. It was very much what an American white privileged male person would do mm. to a woman right. the whole time. So it was very sickening. <laughs> um, and then, jump the next year, we played a, a movie, another movie he was in called The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Okay. And that was based on a novel, a British-Pakistani novelist, Hamid, I think is his last name, directed by uh, Mira, what was her last name? N-A-I-R, Mira Nair. Mm-hmm. 
She uh, directed Queen of Katwe. Oh, cool. I yeah. oh, love that movie. Right, right. So Which diverse we cast. also watched at your movie theater. That's right. This was all in the movie theater. If you haven't seen Queen of Katwe, go watch it. It's so great. It's Disney, everybody. I know. I would never. Ha- yeah. Nobody it's, ever talks about this movie. It's very sad. I don't know what's wrong with people. I know. <laughs> anyway, it's it's that director. So she's like, she's such a badass director to begin with. It's cool. And then you, you base it off this novel that was post 9-11. So mm. it's based on a Pakistani who's getting the brunt of oh, all God. of this. Yeah. Of all this terrorism. And then being stereotyped and um, and then abused for it in America. Good lord! And he play he's it's, it's his role is amazing. Wow! And as an actor, you see the range of what he can do, and that's what I mean. I'm like to go from a movie that is also somewhat diverse, although Trishna was written by an English white man and directed by an English white man, <laughs> um, to something like Reluctant Fundamentalist that next year, right? And you see that it's completely different. Yeah. And his range and the diversity of the cast and the crew. And it makes for such a dynamic film. And I remember that film more so than Trishna. It's very interesting. And I think it's the the fear, I guess, that uh, what I what I get from that was like, you know, see, we're being diverse. You know, we, we're including this good actor in a big Hollywood film. But that's tokenism. Right. Uh, yep. That's being like, here you go. See. And. If they saw what he's done, which I'm sure they did because he presumably auditioned for this, they would know that he's a good actor and that he does have a big range. So, again, it's really difficult to navigate sometimes because you want these people to have jobs. You want these people to be in films. And then also you have this problem because they're being cast in very specific roles, stereotyping, typecasting, all of it, uh, making him... The antagonist was a huge, was a huge mistake. <laughs> it's a pretty woman on you. I, I really liked seeing a villain of different color who was very wealthy and very like sneaky and like kind of crazy, but he like cares about these alien species. Like it's all good. The only thing that's detrimental is that there's no other diversity. So it makes it uh, stick out. Yeah. yeah, it's total tokenism. Yeah. Even if it's not intended that way, that's what happened. Because obviously we're distracted by it, despite good writing, a great film. Yeah, because it's just, it's, um what do they call that? Like trimming, you know? It's just like, oh, look at this beautiful thing. And we're like, mm, mm. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> agreed, very much agreed. And it's really simple. I mean, it. I mean, we only looked, like you said, at the director and the writers, but those are the two people that have, or the two positions where people have the most direction other than the producers. Ultimately, is up to the producers, but getting yourself to the point where you even get to meet with a producer is very difficult. And it's not difficult for everyone. It's mainly difficult for people who don't fit a certain type. Right. And that's why we talk about lack of diversity in the industry it's not just about the film or the story before it becomes a film it's about who's making it and who's producing it and and who they are and where they're from absolutely sorry preaching no and i actually you and that that brought me to a a little reminder i wanted to add at the beginning and i kind of forgot is that where all of these movies even though they're action-based and very male heavy I also another perimeter was to not was to use only fictional movies that had really nothing to do with historical context. Right. So we couldn't be distracted by, you know, the era it was filmed in or 
the story behind it. It doesn't have to do with the emancipation of black Americans. You know, that has nothing to do with purely fiction. Absolutely fictional. So there's no there's no excuses for typecasting. Totally. Basically. Exactly. Sorry. Continue. No, that was great. Uh, So that is definitely the high venom problem. Venom. Which I love. (laughs) Again. Medium venom problem. I love this movie so much. It is like my favorite film on earth. It's called The Spy Who Dumped Me. The title is stupid. It has nothing to do with the film. See, that that feels like another gimmicky weird thing that they had to do in order to sell it. Whatever. Which is stupid, but I totally can see that. Uh, Because it's it's like the first rule of feminism is like, I mean, it's not the first rule, but like making the title about a man. (laughs) Who's not even in it, which, I mean, he is, but, like, it's perfect. But they had to do that, quote, unquote, had to. It was 2018, so, again, last year. This is very recent. Um, It's directed by Susanna Fogel, who was awesome. She is a white female. And all of the films she's done so far in terms of writing have been about best friends, about female best friends, which is just awesome. She just did Booksmart, which got really high reviews. I haven't seen it yet, but she's just really cool. Um, and she wrote it along with David Iserson, who's a straight white male. Whatever. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and then you have the protagonists, uh, Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. Mila Kunis is actually Ukrainian, which I didn't realize. Hmm. And then Kate McKinnon is white. <laughs> I think she's from some other... I don't remember. She's white. <laughs> uh, we still love her, though. Oh, my God. She's great. She's gay, so she gets an extra point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <there>. <laughs> and then the supporting character, uh, Sam Hewen. Is that how you say that? I think so. Looks Hugh like Hun, um as Sebastian. He's a white alpha male, like super hetero white alpha male. It's like Ken Barbie doll a little bit. Which is so annoying. So annoying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the... There's a... What I like about this film, is it's great. It's hilarious. It's action comedy. It's buddy action comedy. If you have a best friend who's a girl, go watch it and have a good time. And it's it doesn't shy away from action. So there's like true action. There's blood. Some guy gets his face put in fondue. It's not like pretending to be action. It's truly an action film. Yes. With comedy. And, and with two female leads. Two female leads. Jillian Anderson is in it, and Kate McKinnon is in love with her, and oh my god, that's my life. <laughs> like, oh my god. When I saw that in theaters, I actually gasped. And I think everybody was like, what's wrong with her? I'm like, oh my god, do you, you know what's understand. happening? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of villains in it, which I like, because yeah. a lot of international spy action films have many, like they have goons, and then they have like the higher-ups, and you know. So you get quite a few uh, different villains, and they're all diverse, so yes. different from each other. Even, you know, there's a white guy who's a bad bad guy, and he's, like, a big man. Like, he's he's a large man, which you don't actually see a whole lot of, which I thought was kind of cool. That's good. We don't need to see them. We already know what they look like <laughs> and what they do. Let's I mean, it's, somebody else. It's, <laughs> it's body inclusion, which you don't get to see. Yeah. It's usually, like, a Bruce Willis type. I'm like, I get it. You're, like, strong or whatever, but who cares? <laughs> Um, and you know, there's like the female gymnast who's a bad guy and she's like crazy. That was awesome. I hadn't seen anything like that before. It was cool. It's cool. There were other white characters who were bad guys, but the one we're going to be talking about is one of the ones that is sort of in the whole thing. He goes from the beginning to the end and that character is Duffer. Uh, he's played by Hassan Minaj. 
Everybody knows um, who he is now, right? I would hope so. I'm sorry. Um, I, I keep watching his show on Netflix. It's so cool. It is such a great show. So. Totally. No, I think he – didn't he start – well, he didn't start on John Oliver. He started on John Stewart, I believe. That sounds right. Yeah. So a lot of people kind of saw his bits, and now he has – it sounds weird. They saw his bits. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, and now he's got a Netflix show, and he's doing some projects. Um, he's an Indian man. He's very much straight. Just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> he I'm like what does that mean very much straight sorry i'm sorry you get distracted I, mean, I think he has a wife and kids oh right he's like very straight he's very straight guys <laughs> um he and sebastian sam hewen are partners and they're like the buddy cop film you're used to seeing is two right. dudes who are like spies and one being the white male and then the the partner being the Ethnic minority guy, one, yeah. you know which we've seen enough of too and he's like the humorous one and he's smaller framed and the white guy is like like i said alpha male like super like bulky and and their morality thing i mean i don't this is another thing i didn't like about this this idea that the white male is like more moral suddenly right. and then uh hassan minaj's character is like uh it's okay i betray people because i want to be rich right or i can kill people because it doesn't matter has nothing to do with me right like that's very come Not, on yeah no yeah. like I, like i said despite how much i absolutely love this movie it's definitely an issue and it's the same sort of issue you see in venom where He's the Smurfette in some ways. He's the only one that you really see uh, with darker skin. So having him be the bad guy is not great, <laughs> especially since he's sort of packaged with Sebastian. Exactly. I think that's where it gets put into the medium category, too. Meaning they had the opportunity to swap that. They did. Absolutely. Just saying, because then it would have been a little bit more of an impact because you're not expecting it. You're expecting Kendall right. to be the one who does exactly what he did, which is fall in love with one of the main the main roles. And, you know, I was actually hoping because it exceeded the rest of my expectations. Right. So something like Hassad Minaj's character coming out to be the one that actually falls in love with her, I would have been like, done. Right. This movie is, you know, that's, yeah. it's already reached the pedestal. You know, right. I'm done. This right. is all I needed. <laughs> We're good. We're good. <laughs> but, you know, so it's little things like that. I remember when we watched it because we saw it in theaters with a group of our friends. And I remember we were talking during the movie because we're those people. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we were quiet and there was like very few people there. Um, but you were like, oh, I like him. And then like five minutes later, you're like, he's the bad guy, isn't he? <laughs> and of course, like Hassan Minaj is, is the bad guy in this. It's just too bad. It's it too was, bad. It was too bad. Still That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's just such an amazing film. We're going to do an episode on female action films at some point in the future. We're gathering our list. So if you have any suggestions or favorites of yours, please send them to us. Um, and the other medium one we did is Training Day. Training Day 2001. So a little a little earlier on. Directed by Antoine Fakua. Fakua. A straight black male. Writer David. Right here. This is why I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm so sorry. I butcher names. Anyway, white male. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's all you need to know. <laughs> David, okay. So protagonist, Ethan Hawke. And I'm sure a lot of people know who Ethan Hawke is. Yes. And he's he can actually play bad guys pretty well, can't he? Totally. I feel like I've seen him play the Definitely. villain role quite a few times. And he does it well. Yeah. And then the one and only Denzel Washington <laughs> as the antagonist. <laughs> dun, 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 which is breaking the typecast. Denzel Washington, he, especially at this point, he played mainly good guys. 
who very rarely played antagonists. And that's part of the reason this film was seen a lot besides being good. Interesting. Meaning had enough props for for being the good guy. The good represented (laughs) diverse actor. So they were like, yeah, let's just throw in one that's, you know, maybe antagonist. And I mean, I think he, he fought for this role. Did he? From what I understand, anyway. Wow. That this was a film. This was a role he really wanted. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better, too, then. But yeah. The antagonist of this movie was very well written. Very. I, I would say I, I could have gone more into depth, but he wasn't the main character, so we didn't we didn't get to see too much of the background of the antagonist, and I understand that. But meaning he had a range. Yeah. And Denzel Washington could totally work with that. He was insane. Not Denzel Washington. Scary, insane. (laughs) Alonzo is his name. (laughs) Yes, Alonzo, the character, was very scary, but also very manipulative. I couldn't tell if he was actually a good guy, right, or if he was actually a bad guy. Yeah. So that's that's good. At any given moment, you couldn't tell. Right. Right. So why would we uh, call it medium? So Ayer, I think that's how you say it, or mm. Ayer, the writer, the white dude, he wrote this experiences living in L.A. Um, he actually was like in a middle, not middle earth, middle <laughs> west, middle, what is it? Middle east. Mid, no. Midwest. Midwest. The, Jesus Christ. He's in the middle earth. <laughs> He's in the Midwest. Um, and his parents like kicked him out for some reason. They didn't really say why. And he went to live with his cousin in deep L.A., and he had all these different experiences with gangs and violence and guns and things. And he ended up writing this based on some of those experiences. And though the director is also, I mean, is a black man and Denzel Washington is obviously had the top billing for everything. I honestly don't feel comfortable giving it anything lower. Agreed. Okay, great. <laughs> Done. There was good representation on the back end of it. Yes. Yes. And they were sensitive to things. And and even the fact that all of the gangs represented were, I mean, it's historically and culturally true that the minority have more gang violence and they tend to be in, you know, barrios. So when you're entering a barrio, any white person is going to be, you know, shining out. And I'm like, what, right. you're white. What are you doing here? You know? Uh, barrio is like a, is that like the projects, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Some of the, the neighborhoods they went through, Oh, this is another thing about that movie is that they they tended to go through different neighborhoods in L.A. Yeah. So, like, they all had the same crime problem, but there was a little bit of representation in each each gang. Right. (laughs) so funny. So the gangs were equally equally represented here. (laughs) It's true. And not just the gangs, but other criminal enterprises. Right. 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 Like, just even Alonzo is working for this group, and the group is consistent of all white men right they're all older white men right oh my gosh crazy it's pretty accurate don't get me wrong but it's a weird thing when he goes to talk to them it was a weird dynamic i didn't totally understand it because he's so scary with everyone else but all of a sudden he's scared of these like white dudes and he's very like nervous around them the medium problem gosh you're right that makes it the problem Meaning he he could have been the same person with these three white males. Meaning like he he could have felt just as powerful and been just as crazy. But he wasn't. He he stopped his act because they were in charge. Right. And suddenly he felt inferior. Right. It was their direction that basically got him killed. Uh, Yeah. It's a weird film. I really like it because it is um, kind of a mind fuck. 
a bit just because what he does to Ethan Hawke is horrifying, <laughs> like slipping him drugs and telling him it's something else and, you know, making him drink alcohol on the job so that he can't report anything because then he could just drug test him. Like, it's crazy. And and I, I really did like the ending. I love the ending because in it, the black community that Alonzo has been mistreating basically takes him in to some degree and they tell Ethan Hawke to go. Like, he's done his job. He can go now, um, which is a very sort of justice feeling. Um, I, I think I think a big part of it for me, though, is that the writer is a white male. I think that makes a big difference for me in this film just because the white male is a huge hero at the end. He's the hero because he didn't, like, give in to this black man. And I think it would make more sense that a, a white cop would be doing this to his own, basically his own community or to the black community um, as opposed to a black man. Not that that doesn't happen. Of course it happens. But like when, when you're talking about L.A. and police, it's pretty obvious that that's not the issue. Right. Which makes this movie very interesting and teetering on this medium thing because it's it's kind of new right and unexpected right but then because it's done so well you're like oh but because it's representation on screen we're kind of perpetuating this very dangerous stereotype (sighs) but that's not to say that man you shouldn't give washington the you know the credit because that's incredible to play that kind of role totally but then, we, then think about, oh, what if they were reversed? Right. What if um, Denzel was the good guy and Hawk was the bad guy? And that seems right. more typical. Right. And they both would have acted it per, like Great. awesome. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something to think about. It is. It's, it's not, this is not a one and done process. Like, and I feel like if we learn more information about this, we might change our minds about medium. Yeah. Maybe it's low or maybe it's high. But at this point, from what we do know, I think it's a medium venom problem. Now we're getting lower on the venom problems. These are the ni- these are the ones that are fun to talk about because we're happily surprised. Yes, this movie. Do you want to introduce it? No, because then I have oh, to say these no, names, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> so in the category of low, low venom problem, how low can you go? Low, low, uh, low. Oh God! <laughs> I just wanted to see. Uh, it's great. I like it. The first one is White House Down. Came out in 2013, which feels like years and years and years and years ago. <laughs> it's really not that long ago. <laughs> and the film doesn't feel super aged. Oh, not at all. It's just 2013 seems like a, a mere memory. Um, it was just a wee last then. <laughs> <laughs> British. Uh, director was Roland Emmerich. Gay, German, white dude. That's amazing. I when know. When you put that note there, I'm like, what? No. I know. That is pretty amazing. It Speaking makes... of, like, American democracy. Sorry. Whatever. No. Sorry. No. Keep going. I was just, that. that's what makes it so surprising is this this thought that, like, oh, yeah, White House Down is, like, Olympus has fallen. Like, there, this category yeah. of action film that has to do with presidency and, you know. Semi-patriotism. Our... Totally. Totally. Yeah. So it's it's a great surprise. Yes. That's all I'm saying. And he's super gay. Um, <laughs> like, if you look up a picture of him, you'd be like, oh, yeah, he's gay. Wow. Um, and then the writer is James Vanderbilt, which I had no idea. This is a movie is awesome. He wrote Zodiac. I don't know if you ever saw that. You probably can't watch it. But 
it is fantastic. It's based on the book Zodiac, but the, the movie actually makes sense and they didn't miss a whole lot from the book. The book is very long and very dry and it's about the Zodiac killer. Oh, okay. That whole process. I was just really surprised that it was James Vanderbilt. I was like, cool, cool. He's a white dude. He's a straight white dude. But, you know, they have their moments. moments. <laughs> They're not all flawed. I mean, most of them are. But who isn't? <laughs> I'm going to get sued. The protagonist is Channing Tatum, alpha white male. Woo. Um, very straight. Porting was Jamie Foxx as President Sawyer. Woo. Straight. Black man. If you don't know who Jamie Foxx is. Whoa. And the antagonist, of course, is the great James Woods as Walker. He is classic bad guy. Hades from Hercules. And when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And then I heard it. Yeah. I, yeah. His voice is, yeah. He's perfect for villain roles. And a white dude. So that's always nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, in this case. I Okay. So I love this movie. It's basically the same general premise of olympus is down has what is it olympus has fallen olympus has fallen i was like olympus has fallen down <laughs> <laughs> they both came out at the same time they look very similar i think i watched the first 30 minutes of olympus is down has I've fallen, fallen. <laughs> god damn it <laughs> it's okay we we can just call it olympus okay olympus i was really surprised i didn't finish it but i was really surprised it was like dark right from the get-go it did everything sort of opposite from what i had seen of the first third you saw Olymp- olympus what what did you what were your overall i mean it thoughts? it was as an action film yeah you get into it and it's gerard butler so it was like yeah he's hot oh my god <laughs> but i didn't feel good i felt i felt very sick after watching it mm. um and that's fine some movies do that to me but i it wasn't just because of what was happening in the movie it was the way they were handling the violence and who died and why. I mean, even who was cast to begin with. It's, it is the same setup. So you have this idea of, of a black American as a president and they have to be saved. Mm-hmm. But the setup for it, it wasn't nearly as equal as White House Down. Very much realistic, I guess, in that the way people treat others is like, yeah, you're black, you're white. You're mm-hmm. going to die. You're not going to die. I decide because I'm in power. Mm-hmm. Whereas White House Down, it felt like it was out of this world. The decisions being made had nothing to do with how people looked or where they were from. And we were following people who I, I never thought we would follow. Like like a little girl who was so much in power. Not the president's daughter. Not the president's daughter. But this random girl who was saved the situation. It's just, it's new things that I want to see on screen. Yeah. And I was so, I mean, even though it was violent, it was making me happy. Yeah. I totally, I think I understand what you, it sounds weird, but I think I understand it. Sorry. Uh, no, don't be sorry. Much. No, no, no. Should I try to say I that? just, I don't know if other people are like, oh, she likes violence. Cool, cool, cool. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, action films, like all action films that are, are yeah. graphically violent get me ill. Right. But that makes sense because uh, I'm very kind of weak. Well, how did that way. the spy who dumped me? Was that a little on the border, or was that okay? Oh, but that was that was a uh, humor. Funny, okay. that was funny. Funny tends to the way people die is unrealistic, right? And it's it's very um, showy, campy, and yeah. showy. Yeah. Although well, I still thought it was very flashy. Like it wasn't dumb. Oh, spy well, who dumped me. That's true. That's like true. you see some pretty gory things, but they don't let you care about the characters, right? In the same way, White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen. 
they make you care about some of these minor characters who maybe are minority. There was a minority woman, right. for example, who got killed off right away. And Olympus has fallen. And I was, yeah, I was invested in her, and they killed her off. That's what I mean. I felt betrayed. Right. And sick. Right. Whereas, you know, the heroes in White House Down, they went through. They they survived. And, yeah, they went through hard times, but they proved that they can, they can be not only interesting as characters and dynamic as characters, but they can make decisions that felt realistic. Right from the beginning, I really like White House Down because, like you said, there's a girl as opposed to a little boy. And she doesn't have a good relationship with her father. And she's she calls him John. Like, she doesn't call him dad <laughs> uh, because he keeps missing things, like missing her flag twirling recital, like things that kids care about and that you should be there for. And he's like a big tough guy and he works for the government in D.C., but she just doesn't she's smart and she doesn't like let him get away with anything. Yeah. She likes history. And it's really about their relationship. Then we get into the whole action sequence. A, a lot of the stereotyping that I saw felt like it was towards the Russians. <laughs> yeah. More so than it was anyone like Jamie Foxx or anyone else, which was nice, but also like, hmm, okay. <laughs> Americans <laughs> yeah. have a weird relationship with Russians. Yeah. But, you know, if we think of Russia, we're not thinking of a culture that has historically been made as slaves yeah oppressed. <laughs> I was like, you know what i mean oppressed thank yeah. you that hasn't been oppressed or anything they have the same kind of level as the white male privilege right you know jamie so the only reason it's uh, so the reason it's a low venom problem is because of the question of whether or not jamie fox's character is tokenism ah. is jamie fox being the president it stands out because there is a, a lack of diversity but we also have some diversity in the director and we have some diversity of gender and we have antagonists who are all white and they're all from different walks of life white, right? Some are nerd white and some are violent white and you know what I mean? They're all, one is a sick white. That sounds so weird to say <laughs> these things. <laughs> I, but I, well, having seen the movie, I know what you mean because all of their, um, their actions are based on passionate backgrounds you know they were wronged right. in some way either politically personally there's Agreed. so many variety of villain that... every character that we focus on villain and not villain means something right right so there's the the guy who's the tour guide we get to see an evolution for him we see him go from meek and scared to standing up for what's right yeah you know and all of these different characters that they do focus in on briefly it's you know background that we always come back to them. We get to see how they play out. Yes. And I think for a movie experience, that's super cathartic. Yes. That's like the cathartic thing because everyone matters. So when they are shot or not shot or killed or not killed, it really does make a difference because you've seen them enough. You've got like six images of them and each one has been an, a different part of their journey, right. whether they die or live. Right. And there's not a whole lot of death in this movie. It, it really is, uh, in a jokery kind of way, it's, you know, James Wood's character is really about sending a message. Right. They're threatening to kill millions of people, but you don't see that. It's, it's about getting to that point, you know. I, I really want to say that, it's, that it doesn't suffer from the Venom problem. But I, it's hard. It's a really hard decision. Well, does it help to say that having not seen it and having seen Olympus Has Fallen, 
I wasn't once distracted by Jamie Foxx being the only black man on the screen. It didn't make you feel like weird about that, right? No. And I was trying to think later why not. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only was he dynamically written. And that's a good point, too. Sorry. Just that he it was written as a black man. And I feel like you got to see that in a fun way. Like when he's like he gets rid of his shoes he's like i'm getting my jordans (laughs) like it's it was written that way right so it was written for that person which i think definitely helps beat the tokenism yeah maybe some of that too was in there and he talked a little bit about you know being from that neighborhood and his mom having to you know really fight for the family so right there's good representation and true representation in there maybe that's is that maybe why i wasn't distracted i don't know you've convinced me it doesn't have a venom problem i've changed my mind well, no, i don't know <laughs> i mean you know i don't know I, I maybe if i saw it again i i don't know maybe there was so many happy surprises that it didn't even dawn on me you know i i was just so cathartic the whole time right right that i wouldn't be distracted like in venom you know i was distracted because there wasn't as many surprising things happening right so i don't know interesting i like that it it kind of makes up for some of its lack of diversity uh with other changes that you don't typically get to see that are good that are like positive changes exactly like having a young girl be the one that saves everyone in the end that's not something you get to see a whole lot in action films with like channing tatum you know exactly exactly and channing tatum playing like a father who has a very hard decision to make like do you save the savior of your nation the savior of your nation (laughs) the leader of your nation (laughs) or your daughter that's to me i'm like oh wow that's a question especially with the daughter who looks up to that person to the president and a daughter who believes in america (sighs) i mean it's it feels it sounds like a patriotic thing but it doesn't feel that way when you watch it. It's more about, like, these people care about other people. Yes. More than America, you know? He even says it. It's weird to tell the president this, but I'm saving your life not because you're the president, but because my daughter looks up to you. Totally. I it's was like, great. I was ready to just burst into tears. I'm like, what a great line. Mm-hmm. I would never have heard something like that in any other action film because they think about those things they think about a relationship that's kind of different than what you expect to hear right and even when now we're just going to talk about this even (laughs) no no no, it's great even when the president he decides to sacrifice himself to save the little girl right that could definitely feel like damsel in distress but this little girl has been like sharp as a whip the entire time she like takes video of the bad guys It, it doesn't feel bad that she needs help plus she's a kid but because she's a girl has all these connotations but the fact that he gives himself up for her is really amazing and in that same scene he's supposed to give his nuclear codes to james wood and he and if he doesn't then james woods is going to shoot the girl right and he looks at the girl and he's like i can't i can't kill millions of people and she's like i know I, was like, I understand. Oh He's like, you understand, right? And she's, she's like, like, yes. Yeah. I do. And I was like, oh. it's, uh, it's so great. <laughs> it's a powerful <laughs> scene. I know. I know. I know. It's just not what you'd expect from it. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's so, probably why it's pretty low on my... Yeah. yeah. I say low to zero. Yeah. Okay, let's wipe our tears away here. <laughs> <laughs> on to comedy. On to comedy. Let's talk about uh, Eddie Murphy. Yes, let's. Uh, we watched Beverly Hills Cop. From 1984, 
before both of the us were born. 80s. Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's our oldest example. Yes. So it's not that old. Don't say that to, uh, what are they called? What are the kids that are younger than us called? Generation X. Gen Xers. Gen Xers. Don't. <laughs> 1984, director Martin Brest. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. First, she laughed first. It was written by Daniel Petrie Jr., which I know you don't know who that is because it doesn't sound like anybody you know. He directed and did the screenplay of Toy Soldiers, which is like classic cult film for many 80s kids, including myself. Um, he also wrote Tuner and Hooch, Turner and Hooch. Hooch, good lord. <laughs> Tunner and Hutch. These names are, are hard. <laughs> and he's considered to have, quote, pioneered the subgenres of action comedy and buddy cop films, which are some of my favorite genres. I love comedy action. It's just like the best combo, especially when you get women in there. Yeah. And that's the spy who dumped me. Um, he's a white dude, but we forgive him. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then another man wrote the story or created the story for Beverly Hills Cops, Danilo Bach, or Batch, white dude. Uh, the protagonist, of course, is Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley. Eddie Murphy is a straight black male from America. Better know who Eddie Murphy is. <laughs> <laughs> Supporting character Judge Reynolds, who I love, as Detective Billy Rosewood. He's a straight white male, and he moved to Santa Fe. Really? Yeah. Hmm. He, I, I ended up doing like a I went off on a tangent while researching this film especially with um, Judge Reynolds because he's such an interesting person and he's been in so many different things and he's had a really interesting journey he talked about how after Beverly Hills Cop he really got arrogant like he was really arrogant and was doing lots of different kinds of films and was being really self-destructive and being horrible to people and then he like crashed and he was like I can't keep doing this he moved to new mexico because he needed to get away from things and he he's he seems genuinely sorry for the way he treated people and he's just such a unique person plus i I grew up watching santa claus so i always had like a soft spot for the ugly sweater guy oh that's right i just really appreciate it's a very good story about him and the journey some people go on when they get fame right so quickly i also love can i add that i love yes. that new mexico was his destination to find himself again. i know that's just where so. we all the crazy white people come here for <laughs> <laughs> we just don't always stay i'm staying but i don't know about other Aww. people it's still nice it's nice to know that we're that we're that point in the hero's journey to like find yourself and discover totally. who you are and then you can go back into society if you if you desire if you if you desire because we need you here too just saying all right <clears throat> We're actually, we're, I am not quite a New Mexican resident yet. You are. Oh, are you? Oh, I got it. Um, We're like tied with five other states for having the lowest amount of PhDs. (laughs) Don't measure us by that. (laughs) Higher education. But we're tied with some really interesting, like Hawaii is one. And Hawaii is like a place that gets compared a lot here because living here is very much like island life. Oh. Um, Not because of the climate or the people, but. Just like in terms of the way of life and the pace. I can see that. Um, we weren't the very bottom. We we're tied for bottom. Oh, okay. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and then it, the other supporting character was John Ashton as uh, Sergeant Taggart. He's a straight white dude. What did you think? Where is this? Where is Eddie Murphy's character starting? Chicago, 
or Atlanta? Yeah, or like this uh, this kind of Bronx-like neighborhood, and he's going out undercover to bust some drug dealers. There's this setup of like, yeah, he comes from the Bronx, and he knows to be tough, and he has respect of both the white and the black community because he does things his way. And he's effective. The very beginning when this is going down, the cops that show up, and have him hold his hands up are white cops. Right. <laughs> and he's like looking at them. And it's just such a great scene because he's like undercover, but it's like, this is what I expect white cops pointing their gun at a black man. Right. And then one of the cops turns to the others and he's like, oh my God, put your guns down. <laughs> just we know who this is. <laughs> Continue. No, that was a good, it was a good surprise to start with because I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yep, white cops, you know, pointing guns at a black guy. So there is a little bit of a reverse there to seeing that, you know, Eddie Murphy's character has the respect of the entire police force already. Even though they are annoyed with him, they respect him because right. even his superior was like, yeah, he's, he's a, dope and an asshole but if you need something solved he can do it right what was going with that what was your question uh what'd you th- what'd you think <laughs> what did i think <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so then moving from this idea of ghetto to high class la mm-hmm. where it is mainly beverly hills beverly- oh gosh i'm so sorry no no no. we were just talking about la is that what yeah i mean i mean beverly hills is next to la but it's different. It's a much different place. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry. I see. I shouldn't be saying what oh I think. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. California. I don't know. <laughs> it is absolutely Beverly Hills. Yes. And they do emphasize that. Very wealthy. Very white. And they do. They set that up very well. There's a lot of exposition. Every new scene, you you tend to do like pan oh. shots of the new place or. Right. You All know. the cars are nice. And yeah. The music they play is different, exactly. like in the background. You don't see graffiti. Like it's a hard cut from where he's come from. Exactly. So they are they are making it blatant. Like, hey, here's this black guy from the ghetto who's now in this very high class Beverly Hills art world. Well, and then he goes into the police department, right? And yes. he's like, whoa, this place is nice. You know, and they're all white guys, <laughs> all kind of. Like, Judge Reynolds is the youngest. They're all, like, middle-aged and older. They don't really trust him or like him, and he's very abrasive to them. I thought that was interesting how that transpired as the film went on. I didn't want to think it was because he was black. I was hoping it was just because he wasn't from their district and because he came from, like, this, you know, we do things different in the ghetto sort of thing. I don't know if that's what it was. Mm. What do you think? I think that him being a minority is definitely a part of it. Not explicitly, but implying. Yeah. I think. I it felt very un- that's why it's it's hard. It's not a no venom problem because I for me it does feel like he fits the exotic type, right? Uh, Those types we were talking about. He's humorous, he's exotic. Yeah. There's these categories that he fits into. So even though Eddie Murphy is awesome and hilarious and it's great and it's fun. It still feels like it's based on things that are not positive. <laughs> He's he is a token character, but they play on that. Right. So in some ways that's better, but he still remains a token character. So you're commenting on it but not changing it, which as we've talked about is not really helpful. Um, that's what you see in like the Big Bang Theory and other shows or movies that that try to be like, eh, 
see, it's pretty funny, right? <laughs> You're but satisfied, then, right? If they don't change it, then it's like, okay. So we're just laughing at the sexism. We're not laughing because the characters realize that they're being sexist, right? Oh, no. So it's that same kind of idea. Dangerous, yeah. So for Eddie Murphy's character, Axel Foley, it feels very dangerous and humorous. And, and I would argue he has the exotic thing as well. Because they don't know what it's like in the big crazy city with all the drug dealers. And even though, like, Beverly Hills is totally that way. But everybody's polite and white, you know. <laughs> and I think being surrounded by an all-white cast for most of the movie, like I said, it's just at the very beginning. You see co-workers who are black. Or, right. and, and a superior right. officer who is black. I was like, yes, thank you. But then I was going to say throughout the movie, it, it's it, it's white again. Right. And I, that makes it even more obvious when Eddie Murphy plays those stereotypes. I'm like, oh. So, yeah. So, I would say medium to somewhat higher up there. I still enjoy him. Oh, me too. Again. <laughs> For sure. And like I said, oh, I didn't say this, but I was thinking <laughs> that, that in the 80s, in the early 80s, this was one of the first steps of not just black main cast for black audiences this was very mainstream right being televised all in all, yeah and all these channels it's like oh yeah eddie murphy sure but look you know this is typically a white male hero the shot of water eddie murphy now yeah. you know so this was some progress definitely i think it still holds up the jokes are pretty funny still yeah there's not i was surprised because you know my lens i was surprised that there was very little sexism yeah and it, there was a few times where he was like you stay in the car and she's like i'm not staying in the car and i'm like that's awesome like and they didn't have a like a romantic thing going on between right? him and his best friend they right? made it clear that she was one of his best friends yeah and i appreciated that totally yeah. so we're on to oh my god <laughs> why are you giggling <laughs> i'm kid. on to the no venom problem skyscraper 2018 also last year also a last lot of year. these were from 2018 yeah <laughs> I, we wanted to do i think right we wanted to do something pretty new oh yeah okay good point movies we'd seen and that were entertaining yes not too gory and not right. too some of those like action films that take it too seriously are very traumatizing yeah because you would hope human beings wouldn't act like that yeah in real life i know they would but <laughs> we get reality when we wake up okay so some romanticism around action would be kind of cool. Totally. That's all I'm saying. And it's great in this one. If you haven't seen Skyscraper, I highly recommend it. It's a surprising film. It was so surprising. <laughs> all the things I was predicting to you, I was like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with the building. The way they built it. It was because it was so beautiful. The it way was they beautiful. built the skyscraper. It's and, the highest building in the world. That's a concept. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And the way they show like the, the blueprints for it. Yeah. And the technology behind it. And it's, right? oh, it's like there's this waterfall dripping. 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 <laughs> yeah, it doesn't drip. It like pours. Yeah. <laughs> and clear clear windows and green everywhere. I'm like, I'm thinking this is like Eden within right. a skyscraper. And I know it must be the structure that's going to cause all of the drama. And it's not. Right. It's not the towering inferno. Exactly. Yeah. So writer and director, Ross and Marshall Thurber. He's got three names, so you know he's a white dude. <laughs> uh, straight white dude. Um, the protagonist, uh, the main protagonist, Dwayne Johnson. The, the Rock. rock. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Probably still really likes being called that. Um, as Will Sawyer. And he's a straight Canadian Samoan American male. He's many things. Very nice. He's also a good singer. Yeah. Good actor. You're welcome. He can wrestle. It's pretty amazing. He's also very in touch with the sensitive side. He's like, he's like, he has great concept of masculinity. 
Like he's not ever afraid to play gay. He's so comfortable with himself that he doesn't. I'm just like, you're perfect. That's great. Yeah. You're welcome. Plus all the straight girls love him. So shout out to Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Supporting character, Neve Campbell, as we all know. Sarah Sawyer. She's straight Canadian white female. Yeah. And she starred, you know, her, one of her big breaks was, she was in 90210. What was her first? Oh, um, Scream. Remember the first oh, Scream? Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't watch it, but I, I remember seeing images. <laughs> she was like the thing in whenever that was, the 90s? Wow. 2000s, yeah. I mean, she still looks good. Don't get me wrong. And the other supporting character was Shin Han as Zhao Long Shi. He's a Singaporean Asian male. I couldn't find... He's one of those people that's very private. Like, I couldn't find much on who his personal life. Good for him. It makes sense that some of these actors feel this way. Antagonist was Roland Moeller as Corez Botha. He's Danish, white male. Hannah Quinlevin as Sia. She's a straight Taiwanese-Australian female. Interesting. So I think it's pretty obvious, besides the writer and director, that this film is very diverse. Very. Love it. And it does take place in China, I believe. But it still didn't feel like it was focused on Asians to be the diversifying factor. You know what I mean? I wasn't distracted. I mean, even even the way they interact with each other, everybody is so... None of the diversity is called out in a a bad way. Meaning... What do I mean? <laughs> like we're calling the film. I'm not I'm not thinking like, yeah, it was in China. That's super distracting. Or that all of the people that are in it are obviously Chinese. Right. It didn't do either of those things, which I thought was really cool. Yes, that's what I meant to say. I feel like the writer and director Rawson, um, I feel like he has a pretty good handle on inclusion. I don't know if it was intentional or not. I have no clue, but I was really impressed, not only race, but gender as well. Um, I felt like, and not just gender, but masculinity, femininity. Like, there were a lot of different things in here that it could have been really stereotypical. They could have just made another action film. You know, it would have been easy. Very Steven Seagal, you know. But they didn't do that. They made some very interesting choices. It's one of the few action films where I've seen them portray a woman as both very motherly and a badass. Yes. And she starts off as a badass, too. Like, she's an army doctor. Right. Like, she's no flower. I don't know what to say. but And you can tell in their partnership that he, he knows that, too. Oh, yeah. For him, his wife is both partner in family and partner in action. Totally. You know? And they have two kids. One's a boy, one's a girl. And the kids look differently from each other because mother and father look differently from each other. Yes. So that's like a nice touch that they didn't have to include. Yes. I like that there, while there is a main antagonist, again, it has many. And one of those is a female antagonist. Mm -hmm. And her fight with Neve Campbell doesn't feel like women are fighting. This looks so hot. Well, because the villain, the female villain was in charge the whole time. And like, she's like crazy. Yeah, <laughs> she's and, well, and she's a very uh, like ruthless. Like, yeah, you would usually see a white male being ruthless. She was very ruthless. She just shoot people. She didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> and th- when they do end up fighting, it's a fight out of circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's not. It didn't feel over sexualized, and that's what I'm used to seeing. Right. 
it's always sexualized. This didn't feel like it was for one particular audience. Yeah. Like, I got into it because it was like, it was like a hard, they were like punching. It's not like they were like catty and like using their nail, like. No, you could tell they were both fighters. Yeah. And it didn't matter that they were both female either. Right. That wouldn't even have dawned on them. It's right. Like, no, I'm fighting for my life and I know how to fight. Right. Both of them. It's It was really impressive it was very impressive and then you know you see the family split up at some points and come back together at other points and it's always interesting who separates from who and how and there's some very fantastical elements you know things that would absolutely never happen right (laughs) but i'm cool with it it doesn't feel silly because i believe in the characters and i feel included I don't feel like this is not for me. I always love when they can integrate family in action yes. films. I am totally sold when there's families involved. The ones the ones that highlight the idea of the family being the team, the ones to solve the problem, basically. And it's not just them. I mean, yeah, they're trying to protect each other. So, yeah, get the kids out if you can. But if the kids need to play a part, you know they will. Right. And that they can do it well. So that's what I thought they did that really well with the daughter. Totally. In a lot of instances where she knew what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as like badass as the White House down daughter. Right. But, you know, there was different circumstances. Definitely. Plus there's like a fire raging this entire time. Yeah. It's so a little it, distracting. It's like a time. It's a time. What is it called? Table? Oh, ticking bomb. Thank ticking you. time bomb. Under the table? I mean, Isn't that's that... what Aristotle's poetics called right. it. Right. I think that was Hitchcockian as well. So the fire is like in the middle of this of the skyscraper and Dwayne Johnson has to get into it above the fire, but it's the tallest building in the world and he goes through all kinds of really awesome ways of getting in and then he's got to get out and then he's got to get in. It's great. Um, so the whole time they're just climbing higher and higher because it's they're not they don't have an option. Right. And they're trying to solve this mystery if Dwayne Johnson's character is the bad guy or if he's if he's just trying to save his family. So meanwhile, there's like this audience around the skyscraper. Yes. I mean, rooting for him, basically. <laughs> and as that plays out, I think even the officials are are thinking like, oh, no, I, he's not involved. He's trying to save his family. And it kind of it kind of clicks into their head that they're trying to solve the wrong problem. And even that was really impressively diverse. Right. It was a, a top male and a top female police officers right i was just really impressed by that i was like oh my god i love this movie and apparently i didn't know this until i started doing research but a lot of or some women when you say women of color which is walk as opposed to poc which is people of color poc woc women of color tend the as a as a general blanket tend not to include women who are hispanic or asian and it's it's actually been i read a few articles from asian women in particular who are offended by that and i understand that it makes a lot of sense to me that if you're not white then you are a woman of color in terms of this is you know like a social term that people use you know include women include women of color i just never thought about it because it's not my world but it makes a lot of sense. So I, I, I thought that it was kind of a tangent that I ended up going down because I was looking at like, okay, how many women of color are in this? And it's like the the bad chick, the cop chick, Neve Campbell, the daughter, right? So three of those are technically women of color if we're to include all women of oh, color. Oh, interesting. And I, I think that that makes sense. I mean, women, Hispanic women and Asian women 
it's not like they get like 30 times more roles than black women. You know what I mean? So it, it makes sense to me that when we're using women of color as a term, that it should include all non-white women. Or maybe we just call it something different than color. Because again, it's that colorism right. idea that the darker you are, the less you get. And this is more culture-based. Right. Um, where you're coming from determines the roles you get. Right. Which is also not great, but it's right. not quite the same thing as colorism. It makes sense. Yeah. But you're right. It's not, you know, it's also not, we don't see them on screen. So right. there is misrepresentation <laughs> or no representation there, right. too. Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's true of women. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All women. <laughs> we can go broader here. I think that's yeah. true of people of color, men and women. I think it's it's a really succinct term that people can use to get across what they're saying so it makes sense that the terms are there and it, it's it can get into very dicey territory like all black all, all lives matter versus black lives matter and the issues there aren't simply just because you say black lives matter that obviously everybody matters but the problem is that black lives matter have not black lives have not mattered in a much higher percentage than others right and so it's important to to say black lives matter because we know that all lives matter but we're not including black people for some reason right hence the problem hence, hence the, the problem. term yeah. right so all saying all all lives matter takes away from the entire purpose of it right. so i think it makes sense for now not that we need to we we make the decisions <laughs> on all these things but I, I understand why people use it. And I think it's it's beneficial until we don't need to. Yes. You know, and again, that's the industry and that's all of our systems, all of our patriarchal systems. Yeah. But, but until then, I think it's very important to to highlight the ones that have the most fight. And hopefully follow them into battle. Yes. I really want to fight battles for them. But that takes away from the whole point. Oh, right? I see. The point is that they get to determine what they get to represent. And we support that. And we have to support that. Just like gay people, just like everyone else. I feel like that's part of the marriage between communities, right? Yes. Like I would much rather, I would feel safer if I lived in a place where there was a strong gay community, a strong black community, a strong Hispanic community. Like, I want everyone's communities to be strong. Yes. Because I feel like we're way more powerful than that, uh, than if it's only white people or yeah. upper white people. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just talk about this forever. That was good. That was a good tangent. I love it. Last, Last but not, not least. least. <laughs> <laughs> we we totally practiced that. Absolutely. Should we try it again? No. Right. <laughs> no, you know this fil film, so you you do it. You really? Intro. I have the honor. Oh my god! The one and only. <laughs> 2018 again. 2018. <laughs> it was a good year. It was a great year. It was a great year. <laughs> All those decades ago. <laughs> you remember 2018? <laughs> Black Panther. Mm-hmm. That was Marvel. We know that. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, I didn't actually. I don't know who directed or wrote it, but Ryan Coogler. Is that how you say his name? Okay, so both director and writer, and then another co-writer, it looks like, Joe Robert Cole, who's a, another straight black male. Oh, I'm sorry. So Ryan is a straight, straight black male as It's well. confusing because Ryan is such a white guy's name, and Joe is such a white guy's name. But That's true. Ryan and Joe, both straight black males. <laughs> <laughs> Protagonist Chadwick 
Bozeman. T'Challa. T'Challa? Is that really his name? Yeah. Oh, it's because they call him Black Panther. Okay. I, I, was like, I was like, yeah. How come I don't remember oh God. the I name T'Challa being used? Um, we got to rewatch this. <laughs> but that's because everybody's calling him Black Panther. I see. I'm sorry. That's I should okay. rewatch this. I've seen it a couple times. I just, uh, whatever. Um, Lupita, my girl. <laughs> that's Nakia. A straight Kenyan slash Mexican black female. Interesting. I know, right? Mexican. Kenyan and Mexican. Well, because when I heard her name Lupita, yeah, uh, but you know that doesn't mean anything. But now it kind of makes sense. Yeah, and she's <laughs> so. got a last name that's Kenyan. That's awesome. I know she's so, so cool. Cool. <laughs> Again, go see Queen of Gatwe. Yes. <laughs> okay, you're gonna have to say the okay. rest. I'm not. <laughs> I tried. I started. I can say Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman's a supporting character. There's Martin Freeman for you. Straight British. You know. Go ahead. And what's his character name? Oh, Everett Ross. And he's a, what, an agent, right? In the Marvel Universe, he, he like, works as an, or something. He's an agent of something. Yeah. He's so great in that movie. Yeah. I don't remember what he does, but he's great. He's, I mean, he's, yeah, he's what the white supporting male should be. Exactly. You get it. Yeah. So our other supporting character is Danae Gura. I can't say it. But Danae is, she plays a Koye, and I love oh, her yeah. so much. That's she's right. Um, she's Michonne in The Walking Dead. Yeah. She's Zimbabwean and American, um, black female. She was another person. She didn't really have a whole lot of personal information. Like there was no, there were rumors that her and uh, what's his name, uh, Daryl from The Walking Dead were dating because he like kissed her. That sounds made up. Off screen. No, it was really cute. He oh. did. He like kissed her and she's like, I love my job. But there was never a confirmation or a denial and they've never really seen her with the same person, like, taking pictures at any place. So I'm like, good for you, girl. Yeah. People Meaning, are like, maybe You she's, don't need to know. Yeah. And maybe she's just focused on her, like, fucking awesome career right now. What a concept. I mean, you don't need a man besides... Sorry. <laughs> or a woman, but yeah. Or a woman. Or anybody, yeah. right? Anybody. And Leticia Wright was Shuri. That was his younger sister. Oh, yes. Um, she's Another favorite. She's Guyanese and English black woman. I know. It's like... So diverse. This is great. Right? And I was, remember that movie we saw a trailer for? It's a new movie with Will Smith. Smith, thank you. And Spider Man, the guy that plays Spider Man, remember the animated film where they're like in disguise and he turns into a chicken? Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was like, why did they, I was so mad when I saw that trailer. I was like, why did they pick two men? Like, come on. Like, I'm so sick and tired of this. Right. And so in my head, I casted it finally. Oh. And I think Kate McKinnon should be Will Smith's character. And I think Letitia Wright should be the kid. Oh, I love that. I feel like that would have been so funny and, like, awesome. Because they both can do humor. Yeah. Um, Antagonist, Michael B. Jordan. Um, not Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan as Eric Killmonger. He's a straight black male from America. He did America. a great job. Great, great job. Great job. And then the other villain who I thought I would include was Daniel Kalua or Kaluye as Wakabi. And he's a British black male. He was the guy that was seeing Danae uh, Okoye. Remember? And then uh, he ends up oh, like fighting kind of for Killmonger. Right, right. They kind of turn on each other. When uh, when she needs, like, the loyalty to... Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah, when their community needs loyalty, he yeah. goes with Killmonger because he believes that he's a better leader right. than um, T'Challa. 
<sighs> that whole setup was awesome too by the it way it was phenomenal <sighs> that was great and that was a great scene where she like charges in with a rhino oh, yes. <laughs> so good <sighs> and she even calls him like what did she call him like lover you know something yeah like that. and it's like whoa that just made this whole war scene epic right <laughs> uh, it was so like that's how you do a romantic relationship in a action film like this yes we don't need to see more than that. <laughs> and they're on equal. I mean, she's on the battlefield. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that before? I've never seen something like that before. It's fucking where it's awesome. a love story and she's on the freaking battlefield. She's on equal head terms. of everything. Yes. She's yes. the major general of the army. Just thinking about that kind of makes me cry a little I know. It's beautiful. Okay. Great female representation. I don't think it's actually perceived this way, but I think that the fear was that it would be perceived as you were talking about as a black film, right. that it's just for black people. That is absolutely not the case. Honestly, it didn't even feel like a Marvel film. And I mean that with the highest praise. Yes. It was one of the first Marvel films where it was like, oh, oh, you guys make actual films. They're yeah. not like Civil War, which is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I hate that movie more than is rational just because it's a bunch of man babies who won't talk about things what kind of idiot wrote that movie and then decided to produce it like it doesn't make any fucking sense to me it's horrible it would have been you know it would have been so different if there were scenes with relationship conflict like if you saw them talking and yeah sure maybe the talks didn't go well but at least they tried then yeah. then it would become more of a draw i mean don't get me wrong it's still no, a bunch true. of white babies trying to talk it out yeah and, but it would become more of a drama meaning right you, you would be at least invested right if it were genuine attempts then yes i can see that yeah. and I, my answer would still be the same but i'd be less angry about it yeah um being <laughs> that you need to diversify and get over your egos and it would but. have it would have propelled a, a better message for males saying like you can at least try talking about it and sure conflict will still arise but you've you've attempted to share whatever. I mean Tony Stark is the epitome of toxic masculinity. I mean he is the prime example of everything that's wrong with the way we portray masculinity. Mm -hmm. So it would have been amazing if that had been somewhat of a turn for him or at least to allow us to see that he's not all of that. He's more. That would have been amazing, but they didn't do that. Hmm. What are we talking about? Black know. Panther. The what, best. So what did you think? You tell me what you think. Psh, everything you just said. Oh my Ditto. God. <laughs> I mean, this is so far past even one through ten. I'm I'm like, you know, fifteen. Even though it's a it's mainly black cast, it's not as in like black American cast. It's like, wow, you get everybody from all walks of life. Totally. In this very well-written script that happens to be action and Marvel, because right. we haven't seen too much of um, of good writing and good representation in Marvel quite yet. Right. And then to blow you out of the water with something like this is like, see, we can do everything you're asking for. Right. That's it. Well, and that, that even goes further to the end of the film, right, where... They expose themselves to the rest of the world. Yeah. And everybody thought they were just some third world country. Right. They didn't think that they were anything. And they're like, oh, your whole world is about to blow up because of us. Technology, wisdom, equality. Community, everything. Community, yeah. Like, it's, it's, that's beautiful. And I think the other part of it is that, you know, there was so much about who they brought on to do this film. Costume designers, historians, 
everybody that they could get to look at everything specific, the languages, what they're wearing, not just in terms of like, ooh, this looks like kind of African, how cool. They took specific things from specific cultures for specific reasons. Yes. And I feel like obviously that's not something that you can do with all films. Because they did mention that this was one they they put more money towards this one than many of the others, and it's it's a that's a huge production. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how much it cost, but I think that they made back every cent that they spent. Uh, yeah, and not only that, but they won over a community that's been sort of pushed aside. Oh my God, if anything else, if you can say that. For a production. Right? I just can't imagine, I mean, how proud the cast and crew have to be after that. Right? I just, I mean, and they should. They should feel every ounce of that, meaning it was all worth it. Definitely. I'm hoping they do anyway. I I'm sh- I, I hope so, because I do think that it, it, it made history, which is fascinating because it's Marvel, and you're like, what the fuck was happening in the 1929, whatever, whatever year it is. <laughs> But it's it's like I said, it's not it's not just a Marvel film. Yeah, it's, it transcends it. It totally does. It's a it's a real movie. <laughs> and yeah, there is some truth that you need a lot of money in order to expose the changes you wish to see. But you also need to be able to take a risk. Yeah. Right? They took a risk because they have billions of dollars, but they took a risk in putting all this money into it and it paid off. So it, it's good, but I'm also afraid. <laughs> I'm I very afraid. <laughs> I know, I know. But if anything, we'll still have it as just the base, you know, as totally. start starting point that, yes, we want it. We've proved that we've wanted it. Right. And that we're happy to have it. Yes. So, so yes, we're going to leave you off with a little bit of a quote from one of the articles I was reading from. This one's called Coloring the Narrative. And it's actually this whole lesson on how to use storytelling to create social change. Nice. But at the end of the introduction, it poses a question that I think we were asking for the venom problem. Cool. How can the deeply ingrained messages of colorism be effectively confronted and transformed to advance social change without alienating the community members we may most want to reach? It's a good question. And it's hard to do, but... We can do it. Totally. If we believe. If we believe. And if we read. Because reading is power. And power is pizza. <laughs> and pizza is knowledge. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> Thanks so much uh, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.